Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are worthy. Lord Jesus, you're worthy. You're worthy to be praised. We thank you for that today, Lord, that you were worthy to open the scroll and read. We know that you're worthy because you died on the cross to pay for our sins, Heavenly Father. And we pray this day that you would guide everything that's done through your Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father. Lord, we praise you this day. We pray for all those that couldn't be here. We pray for Brother Jim as he travels and bring them safely back to us, Heavenly Father. Pray now that as we open your word, that we would look at it, Heavenly Father, and that you would reveal what you would have us to learn through your precious Holy Spirit. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb. Well, those of you that know me, I don't need to tell you who I am, but my name's Steve Johnson, and I ain't Jim. I said that for the benefit of my English teacher wife there. Uh, she says don't say ain't, because ain't ain't a word. So it is what it is. So there you go. You can, you can talk to me about that at lunch today. It's an honor to be here. First of all, it's an honor that God called me into the ministry. Second of all, it's an honor that Brother Jim would trust me to be behind this pulpit. It's a great honor, but it's a great opportunity. And it's an awesome responsibility to be here speaking to you today. And, and thirdly, thank you for being here. You could have been anywhere else in the world, but you chose to be here this morning. So I thank you for being here, and I mean that sincerely. You could have been at the Waffle House. You could have been at a ball game. You could have been anywhere. Uh, I understand there are ball games being played right now, and, and back when I was a kid, that didn't happen, Brother William. Uh, that, didn't, that didn't work. That didn't work for the folks back then, uh, but it does now for whatever reason. Uh, also, uh, I'm not a political person. Those of you that know me well know that I'm a federal employee subject to the Hatch Act, so I will not get political. But I will tell you this, there's an election coming up Tuesday, and there's a big national election coming up a little bit later than that in November, right? I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but I am going to tell you who to vote for. Vote the Bible. Look and see if that candidate lines up with the Word of God and vote for them. If they don't, don't. I'm going to say that again. If they line up with the Word of God, vote for them. If they don't, don't. And I say that without reservation. I'm not going to name any names. You don't, I don't have to name names. Look at the voting record. Look at what they stand for. Brother Jim's talked to us about that. Very important. Tuesday is an election. Vote the Bible. If you don't know what somebody stands for, find out before Tuesday, please. Find out before Tuesday. Most people's voting record is a matter of public record. You can see that. And in November, again, not going to tell you who to vote for. Who lines up with the Word of God? Who lines up with the Word of God? Nobody's perfect, folks. I know that. We know that. But who lines up with the Word of God? That's who I want you to vote for. Are you excited about what God is doing in your life? Are you truly excited what God is doing? We've got a pandemic going on, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that, folks, because we're going to talk about a little bit about what God did to correct his people in a little bit. God's in control, isn't he? I'm going to say that again. God's in control, isn't he? He's either in full control or he's in no control. He's in full control of everything going on. And if you're a big picture Christian, you look and see the big picture is, guess what? We read the last few words of of Revelation, we read the last chapter of Revelation, what happens? God wins, doesn't he? And if you're in Christ, you win. Amen. If you're in Christ, you win. Brother Jim has been taking us through the book of Revelation, and I appreciate that. I'm learning an awful lot. I'm sure that you are too. Um, and as we see God's judgments in that, we also see his love, his great love for us, his great love for his people. We are his people. The title of the message today is Revival Through Repentance. Revival through repentance. So we're going to be taking a little bit of a, a detour away from the book of Revelation today. And it's, uh, I think, a needed detour and a, and a glad detour, I think, for some of us. Um, Revelation is very, very strong stuff, isn't it? It's very, very strong stuff. All of the Word of God is precious. It's, it is written. It's, it's God-breathed, isn't it? The Bible is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. I'm going to say that again. The Bible is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. It means there's no mistakes in it. Never have been, never will be. It's inspired of the Holy Spirit of God. Men didn't write that book. The Holy Spirit of God wrote that book. Okay? We need to remind people of that. I think we need to remind people. Okay? 
Christians need to return to the care of the Lord. I'll say that again. Christians need to return to the care of the Lord. I'm afraid we've gotten a little bit away from him, haven't we? We're going to look at three questions, which will be our main points and get answers from the scriptures. Number one is who is involved? Number two, what is to be done? And number three, what is the result? Who is involved, what is to be done, and what is the result? Our scripture is going to come from the book of 2 Chronicles. We're going to be in chapter 7. If you want to turn there, you can. Some churches are leaving God behind and creating their own doctrines. That's a little dangerous, isn't it, folks? Paul warned us about that in, in, the, in, the, in his word, didn't he? The result of the church leaving God behind is low faith at a crucial time. Is now a crucial time? Every time's a crucial time, but especially right now. We need to strengthen our faith, not have it be fallen by the wayside, right? I, th I see a lot of things on Facebook and other places that say faith over fear. I mean, I get it, folks. I get it. We need to be concerned. We need to be concerned about our neighbors, and we need to be praying for them and using good common sense. Amen? Good common sense of what we've been told. But at the same time, we choose faith. We choose faith that in the end, what did we say before? God is in control. We win. If we're in Christ, we win, right? Another problem the church is doing is they're leaning to their own understanding. Ooh, that's dangerous too, isn't it? If we're not reading and studying in the Word of God, that's a problem, folks. That's a problem. Why do people not read and study the Word of God? Sin. Oh, oh he went there, didn't he? Sin. Sin keeps us from the Word of God. Always has and always will. Sin keeps us from the Word of God. But here's the good part. If we read the Word of God and we have faith, what does that do? That helps us stay away from sin, doesn't it? If we're living a truly faith-filled life. And then finally, sin that needs confessed. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We sin. Unfortunately, we sin all the time, don't we? We have to lead a life of repentance, which we're going to look at in just a minute. We have to lead a life of repentance. God's word is precious to us as Christians. In the book of 2 Chronicles, to give a background, the books of 1 and 2 Chronicles were one book in the original Hebrew text. The books were separated into two when the original Hebrew was translated into Greek, which we call the Septuagint. The books were written about 430 B.C., and the books were referred to as things left behind and focused on what was not included in the, first, in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. 2 Chronicles was written to unify the nation of Israel around the true worship of God by reminding them of their past. See, the Israelites oftentimes had to be reminded of their past. They forgot pretty quickly sometimes, didn't they? And we give those Israelites a hard time, but here's the problem, folks. We do that too. You have a pandemic hit, what do people do? They despair. Instead of pray first. Pray first. We should be praying first. We should be praying all the time, no matter what's going on. And if you found yourself really struggling with this, folks, I'm going to tell you something. Just start praising God like we did already this morning. You'd be surprised what happens. When you, when you have a devotional time and you have a time of worship, this morning over in the annex, we're calling it whatever we're calling it now. I think I made a mistake calling it the annex, but I had some devotion time. I had some time where I listened to a song that I like to listen to, and I worshiped Almighty God. Okay? If you're not doing that yourself, do that. You'd be surprised what will happen to you if you'll do that. If you'll spend time doing that, listening to good, godly music now. There's some that's not. I know Tom and I have talked about that a time or two. There's some music that, you know, I don't know what they're talking about. They're certainly not talking about my Savior. But any that is, I don't criticize it, but any that is talking about my Savior, I want to listen to it, and I want to worship him. Jewish tradition points to Ezra being the author of Chronicles. He was a Levite and came from a family of priests. He also was a scribe, which was uh, an expert in the law. And so if you needed a, a marriage certificate or a divorce or something like that, you would go to a scribe, and that's what Ezra was. Also, Ezra was the spiritual leader of the state of Judah after the Babylonian captivity. Now, the scripture doesn't say that Ezra was the author, as we stated. Jewish tradition says that he was the author. We're, it's not told in scripture exactly who the author was. 
All right, Solomon had spent the better part of 2 Chronicles chapter 6 praising God the Father and asking him to answer the prayers of his people if they sincerely repented. Solomon understood at least a little bit about God's grace and mercy, didn't he? Okay, and so he's asking God to remember the people. Asking God to remember the people. You know, we've got a great pastor here. Amen. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> we've got a great pastor here. Amen. Okay. Love Brother Jim. I love the fact that he's unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? And so we need to remember that. We need to remember we need great leaders like him. There's a lot of churches that would love to have him. I guarantee you. He brings the truth, folks. The pattern already existed in which God's people would stray from God and he would cause a calamity or a major problem that would drive them back to obedience to his standard. We get the picture of a, of a small child and a parent. Now, most of you know that I'm an old guy, but I got a seven-year-old at home. He was in here earlier. I hope that their kids are gone, right? Okay, they're gone. Um, sometimes I have to get on to him. I don't like getting on to him, but I have to get on to him. Why do I get on to him? Because I love him. I discipline him because I love him. God disciplines his people because he loves them. Everything that we do, and if you get nothing else out of this today, everything that we should do should be an example of what God does for us. Everything we do should be motivated by one word and one word only, love. Let love motivate what you do. You cannot go wrong. We serve God because we love God. Because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. We love God because he loved us. He simply wanted them to trust and obey, for there's no other way. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. We've got a song about that, don't we? I like that song a lot. It's very simple, but I like it. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 19-42, through 42, Solomon asked God to hear the prayers of the people concerning a number of things. Number one, crime. Hmm. Do we have a problem with that today? Ooh. I'm not going to belabor that point. Enemy attacks, war, drought, famine, the influx of foreigners, and finally sin. All those things is what Solomon had asked God to hear the people about. Wanted God to correct those things. As stated, the recurring theme exists in which God welcomes back his children no matter how far they have strayed. How many of you have been like me, have been a legalist before? What's a legalist, Steve? A legalist is somebody that says, well, God can't save that person. Or that person's gone too far for God to redeem them. Whew. We have to be careful with that. The Holy Spirit of God can draw anybody. The Holy Spirit of God can save anybody. People in the Calhoun County Jail getting saved all the time. Doesn't matter where they are. Doesn't matter where they are. Doesn't matter what they've done. He can save them. Because he's God. He's God. You either have a big God or you have a little God. There is an objective truth about God that he is God and we're not and he's big. He can do anything. Anything. There's nothing he can't do. Nothing he can't do. God in his wisdom caused his people to come back to him for their own good out of his great love. We have trouble understanding that in our finite minds. See, we get, again, we give the Israelites a hard time, but we're no different. We stray away, and then he has to do something to bring us back, right? We do. We do stray away. He has to bring us back. So let's look at our scripture for today. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, as we've already stated, verses 11 through 15. I'll give you a moment to find that. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 11 through 15. A number of years ago, uh, Miss Barbara Griffin asked me to make sure that I repeated that a number of times to give people time to find it, and I'm going to do just that. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 11 through 15. It's on page 711 in my Bible, but I don't think that's going to help y'all, is it? That's an old joke that never gets old to me. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 11 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his, his own house he prosperously effected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, 
I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine eyes, my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. So here we see that there's an, a certain audience, and everything needs to be in context, right, folks? I don't want to ever be guilty of taking things out of context. I know a number, a couple of years ago, I, I had a sermon, and I was all proud of myself. I had a sermon ready, and I said, boy, this one's going to knock their socks off. And then something kept me going back to this one passage of Scripture. And I kept going back to it and going back to it, and I said, something's not right. Folks, I had to rewrite the sermon because I messed up on the context. I messed up on the context. It's very important to be in context. It's vitally important to be in context, right? Okay. So the audience of the scripture in context was the children of Israel, as we know. Solomon basically was leading the people at this point. Verse 11 says, Solomon had succeeded in completing all he wanted to do in the construction of the temple and royal palace. They were completed and dedicated by Solomon. And it took 20 years to complete the construction of the temple. I want you to think about that for a moment. 20 years. 20 years. In your lifetimes, has it ever taken 20 years to build a structure? Hmm. That's a long time, isn't it? Modern technology, they're going to tell you. If it takes 20 years to build something, I know some of y'all are financial people. They're going to say, well, if it's going to take 20 years, there's no point in us doing it. Because there's going to be a rate of return on it. It's going to be too long, right? But not in God's economy. Not in God's economy. Okay, The temple was built on Mount Moriah where we remember that God sent Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, right? Locations in the Bible are important, folks. They have meaning. They have meaning. Now we know, obviously, that uh, Abraham did not sacrifice Isaac. He was stopped just in time. But he had that knife ready, didn't he? I think we talked about that not long ago. Verse 12, God here is affirming Solomon and his work on the temple in a number of ways. Number one, he appeared to Solomon. I want you to grasp that, folks. He appeared to Solomon. The God of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, appeared to Solomon. We read that, and we read that lightly, don't we? The God of the universe appeared to a mortal man. I think we skim over that sometimes. We don't see the gravity of that. He heard the prayer. He heard Solomon's prayer, didn't he? When God hears the prayer of someone, what does that say about the person? They're righteous. They're righteous by faith. They're righteous by faith. And see, he is dedicating the temple by stating that he has chosen the temple and he will use it to receive sacrifices. That's a major affirmation for Solomon and the people. It's a major affirmation for Solomon because the temple was completed. It took 20 years, but it's completed, and God said he's going to use it. What an awesome thing for the living God to say he's going to use something that were built with men's hands. See, before that, he didn't put a lot of stock in what Men did with their hands. But when that temple was finished, he said he was going to use it. How awesome is that? That God, the God of the universe said he was going to use that temple. That he was going to be there in that temple. He was going to use it and he was going to be there. Verse 13, here God is issuing notice that it is he that judges the waywardness and disobedience of his people by drought, locusts, and plagues. Hmm, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. That doesn't fit in with the prosperity gospel, does it? That doesn't fit in, fit in with all of us are supposed to be healthy. Ooh, wait a minute. There's a lot of Christians sick right now, aren't there? It doesn't fit in with the prosperity gospel because the, the prosperity gospel doesn't fit into God's word. It just doesn't. God said you're going to have trouble. Jesus said you're going to have trouble, especially if you say the name of Jesus in this day and time, folks. But, you know, you can talk about God all day long, but when you mention our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what happens? 
Same thing Jesus said was going to happen. It's going to alienate people from you. But that's okay. Because if you show that great love that, that Jesus had when he died on the cross, guess what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to use that and it's going to draw people. It's going to draw people to the cross. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. I'll draw all men unto myself. And we need to be about that. We need to be about sharing God's word and sharing the gospel. We need to have a balanced view of God. I'm going to say that again. We need to have as balanced a view of God as we can understand. Folks, I, I think sometimes people fi- think they've got God figured out. Let me, let me assure you of something. Nobody's got God figured out. His ways are above our ways, right? Nobody's got him figured out. He loves us more than we can comprehend, but he's not mocked. God is not mocked. He's not going to be mocked. He'll never be mocked. He has a wrath that is like no other. Again, Brother Jim's leading us through Revelation. It's pretty scary stuff. The bold judgments. I don't, I, thankfully, I'm not going to be here then. After chapter 3 in Revelation, we're not here anymore as Brother, Brother Jim has taught us, right? But there is judgment coming. Revival happens when judgment is preached. It's a known fact. When you know that there is a heaven and there is a hell, it makes a difference. I was talking with a young man uh, earlier this week. Uh, I, I'm a therapist with the VA. Most of you know that. And he said, I do not believe in the devil and I don't believe in hell. And he told me before that that he was a believer. Well, let me tell you something, folks. There's a problem with that. The Word of God very clearly states that there is a heaven and that there is a hell. And you will end up in one of those two places. Everybody likes computers, don't they? What's the default in life? The default in life is hell. The default on a computer is no big deal, but default in life is hell. We must... Be regenerate. Well, what does that mean, Steve? What does that big word mean? Quit using those big words. Regenerate means that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ through his shed blood at Calvary. You're going to spend eternity in one of those two places, heaven or hell. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. That's exclusive to Jesus. But it's inclusive to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, right? Isn't that wonderful that it's inclusive? It's the only religion I know where everybody's welcome. You don't have to wear a certain shirt. You don't have to speak a different language. All you have to do is come by faith. Come by faith, knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's all you have to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later on. So here we see that that God is giving Solomon a what-if scenario a hypothetical of his action in the punishment and the desire for him to bring correction to his people. Brother Jim, I already mentioned, is a great pastor. He's a good pastor. You don't always like the message he brings. I don't always like the message he brings. But I'm going to tell you something. He brings the message that God gives him from the Word of God. We need that. We need to hear what we need to hear. We don't need to hear what we want to hear. Folks, churches have pastors that tell what they want to hear. Itching ears, I believe, William. Isn't that it? Who have itching ears? We need somebody that's going to tell us the truth in love. Always in love. We need somebody that's going to tell us the truth, and he does. Verse 14, we're going to camp out on that one for a little while. Verse 14 is our focal verse for today. This verse is, verse is basically God's answer that comes in the form of a promise to Solomon's prayers for the people that he made in chapter 6, if you'll remember Now we're going to look at the who and what questions as well as the result. The who is God and his people. If my people, my means ownership, shows ownership. My people, my being God, people being the children of Israel. Remember in context, right? What is to be done? The what is related to when Solomon asked God to hear the prayers of the people in chapter 6. of Second Chronicles, Solomon asked God to make provision for when the people sinned against him. Remember in verses 19 through 42. Solomon knew that his people were going to sin against him. Solomon knew that the people, children of Israel were going to sin against God. Again, a well-established pattern of that, right? They would stray away from him, and God brought them to him by his love. We can't miss that. If you're a Christian and you're straying away from God, he'll bring you back to himself in his love. He'll do that every time. 
Whole churches, folks, unfortunately, sometimes are moving away from God instead of toward Him. We've got to move toward Him. We've got to move toward Him. The only way we can do that, though, is through His Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit draws us. The Holy Spirit also draws a Christian back to God. Well, how does the, how does the Holy Spirit do that? Conviction of sin. I'm going to say that again. Conviction of sin. Because when you're convicted of your sin, what happens? You repent. You repent. We're going to talk about it a little bit more in just a minute. God clarifies the condition that needed to exist in order for him to act on the prayers by making a conditional statement, if my people will. If my people will do what? We're going to look at that. Humble themselves. If my people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their evil ways, in other words, repent. Right? Humility is having an understanding of how weak we are in our own strength. We're weak, folks. We are. Paul talked about his weakness. But God's strength is perfected in weakness. God's strength is perfected in weakness. God wanted the Israelites to see their weaknesses and to see and act on their utter dependence on Him. Are you dependent on God today? I'm going to ask that again. <laughs> Are you dependent on God today? I'm going to inform you, if, if any of you that said no, we need to talk. We need to talk. I'm totally dependent on Him. I like that song that says... I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Folks, I can't even walk, period. I need him to carry me. Get out of your mind that you're walking with him. He's carrying you at times. With all this pandemic going on, he's carrying a lot of people. He can handle it. He can handle it. Let him carry you. Let him carry you. He's got you. He's got your back. He'll take care of you. They needed to admit or confess their sins and understand that they were naked, wretched, and poor. Amen. We bring nothing to the table. We bring nothing to the table. We need, we're so needy. We need everything. We need everything. Just when you think you're flying high, something happens and you get knocked out of the sky, don't you? And then God has to pick you up. And he does out of his love and he just shakes his head. Like, we, like when we were children, we would do something we weren't supposed to do. Like build a ramp and, and jump a bicycle. I'm glad Will's not here to hear that. But, uh, <laughs> what happens? Mom and Daddy come running in the house. Now Mama says, oh my goodness, you're hurt, you're hurt. And what does your Daddy say? If you got a good Daddy, he said, boy, I've had worse scratches on my eyeball. <laughs> That's what my Daddy said. We need more Daddies like that, folks. We need more Daddies like that. The people needed to pray, to call on God in faith, to ask Him to help them in their dire situations. Prayer demonstrates humility. Prayer demonstrates humility because it is an understanding and it demonstrates a dependence upon who the prayer is going to. When I pray, my dependence is upon Almighty God that He will hear that prayer and that He will act. Basically, Solomon is ask, was asking in chapter 6 that God would do that, that he would hear the prayer and that he would act when the prayers came. And as we're going to see, God gives a very straight answer. See, seek my face means that God, to seek God continually, to ask to be or stay in his presence. Paul said to do it without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. When we pray to God, I'm not going to ask you if you pray enough. I know the answer to that. I know I don't. People don't pray enough, and then they wonder why things are the way they are in their lives. Sometimes prayer is, we need to understand prayer is a two-way street. We need to pray and ask God, but we need to be quiet for a little while and listen. And he will tell you what he wants you to know. Be careful of other people that come up and slap you on the back and say, Well, the Lord told me to tell you this, folks. And Brother Jim has talked about this. Don't do that. Don't listen to those people. Show me chapter verse where he said it. Show me chapter verse where he said it. He said all he's needed to say. All we've got to do is read it. That's what he said. We see that repentance is shown in changed behavior. True repentance 
is shown in changed behavior. What is repentance? What is, at its heart, what is it? It is confession of sin and then turning and forsaking that sin, which means we do an about-face. We do an about-face. When I was in the Navy, I had to do an about-face, and I had to practice that a lot. I'm not going to show you up here because I'm not going to embarrass myself, but basically you're facing this way and you turn around this way. Sin is there. I'm here. I'm away from it. I'm away from it. The problem is sin is pleasurable. Sin is enjoyable. That's why people do it, by the way. We need to be real with that, folks. We need to quit telling people that sin is not enjoyable because it is. But the Bible says we enjoy sin for a season. But sin does a very major thing to us. It separates us from Almighty God, from a holy God. God will not look at sin. That's why he turned away from his own son on the cross and would not look at him. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became sin in that moment, didn't he? He had to turn from him. He couldn't look at him. God will not look at sin. There will not be any sin in heaven. Maybe I need to say that again. There won't be any sin in heaven. There will be no sin in heaven. God will not allow it. Cannot be there. And I'm thankful for that. Are you thankful for that? There's no sin going to be in heaven. The result is that God would hear from heaven, forgive sin, and heal them. When he forgives sin, it's a big deal. God takes sin very seriously, doesn't he? He, take, he took sin so seriously that he allowed his one and only son to die on a cross to pay for that sin. That's how seriously he took sin. We need to take it that seriously. Don't play around with it. Verse 15, God is promising that his eyes would be open, his ears attentive to the prayers offered in the temple. Wow. He's listening to the prayers offered in that temple. The God of the universe is listening to the prayers offered in that temple. Is that not incredible that he's listening? This verse and the next, verse 16, show that God is dedicating the temple because of his love for his people God's approval was sought by Solomon, and God honored that request. You see, Solomon dedicated the temple, but more importantly, God dedicated the temple. He dedicated it because he said he was going to use it. He dedicated it because he said he was going to listen to the prayers of the people and that he would act. He would heal their land, right? But those conditions were that people needed to humble themselves. They needed to pray. They needed to seek his face. In other words, repent. Turn from sin, turn to God. When someone gets saved, that's what happens. They must repent. That's why John told people, repent. Repent. He preached repentance. Cost him his head too, didn't it? Sure did. Cost him his head. Don't cost a lot of people a lot of things. You keep preaching the gospel, it's going to be a problem for you. It just is. He would pay attention and act when asked to do so by his people. That's incredible because God said that he would act. He said that he would be attentive to the prayers of the people. His people. So what is our application for today? What is our application in the moment? Because again, everything in context, this was written to the Israelites, but there's a word in here for us today. To be revived, to be renewed, we need to repent. We need to repent. When we seek God's face, when we ask Him to be in our presence, when we beg Him to allow us to be in His presence, a better way of asking it, He answers. He answers. But I can't have a whole bunch of junk in my heart and mind and go to Him. I've got to have a clean mind and heart and say, Lord, cleanse it. Cleanse my heart and mind. I can't go to you with sin. Remember, sin's not going to be in heaven. So when I go to God, I've got to live a life of repentance. I've got to ask him to help me live a life of repentance. A lot of people say, well, I, I'm having a hard time living the Christian life. Folks, you can't live the Christian life in your own power. Through the Holy Spirit of God, you can live the Christian life. But that is a life of repentance. You wake up in the morning and you thank God that you're breathing. Number two, you pray and ask him to help you. Folks, I'm afraid we've gotten too me-dependent and not enough God-dependent. Me-dependent. I'm dependent upon my paycheck. Well, guess what, folks? That paycheck can be gone tomorrow. I think we've learned that in the last six months, haven't we? 
A lot of folks without a paycheck right now. And the good part about this pandemic, the good part about all this that's going on is if we share the gospel with somebody who's hopeless, I deal with a lot of hopeless folks. I do. All the time. I have drug addicts coming to me and, I, and, and they'll ask me, Steve, can you help me? I say, no, I can't help you. But I know who can. All the wisdom in the world. Man's wisdom is dung, as the Bible says. Only the wisdom of God's word will help somebody. As a counselor, I've already got this figured out, folks. I can go to all the schools in the world. I can be licensed to the nth degree. But I can do nothing without Jesus Christ. I can't, do, I can't do it. I have to have His power living on the inside of me that comes out. And if I let that love that lives inside me come out and manifest, what happens is other people see it and they say, Golly, He really cares about people. He does. If you do that, they're going to see that. That what, that's what draws them. People were first called Christians at Antioch. Why? See how they love one another. That love, it draws them. It draws them to the cross. It draws them to Jesus, doesn't it? God will always take us back no matter what. Do we believe that? You can't go too far, folks. If you're saved in the first place, <laughs> be clear. If you're saved in the first place, he'll always take you back. And if you're not saved, the good part about it is he'll take you the first time. But please don't fool yourself. You know in your own heart whether you've done business with God or not. We're going to talk about that again in a little bit as well. Repentance is simply confessing sin and committing to turn from that sin back to God. That's as simple as repentance is. But it's a profound thing to do in your life because you may like some of those things that you're doing that separate you from God. Enjoy sin for a season, don't we? But sin separates us. God will always honor true repentance. Brother Emmett Roper, a very dear friend of mine who, who is uh, one of my mentors in the Lord, would tell people when, they, when he would be witnessing to them, he would say, if you mean it, God means it. I like that. If you mean it, God means it. When we turn from sin to our Savior, Jesus, we honor God with our actions. When we turn to Him, we honor Him. We recognize who He is. He's the God of the universe who sent His one and only Son, as we've said, to die upon the cross. We identify Him as who He is. And nobody or nothing on earth can help you but Him. But Him. How many of you have ever met a millionaire? Raise your hand if you ever met a millionaire. I've met a couple. It's easier for, the, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, isn't it? Hmm. The church as a whole needs to repent and return to genuine faith instead of reacting in fear. We'll say that again. The church as a whole needs to repent and return to genuine faith instead of reacting in fear. Folks, we've got to quit being so fearful. Last week I preached in a small church and there was a huge congregation there. There's a lot of people there. It was really kind of blew my mind. I think there were six people there. Six people in that place. And we, we, we talked about Mark chapter 4, when Jesus calmed the storm. When he did that, they got scared. See, when the Holy Spirit of God shows up, it freaks people out. It freaks people out, doesn't it? When it's genuine, it freaks people out. We need to fear God, not man. We need to have a reverential awe of him. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of people tell you, Steve, don't tell people this, but I'm going to tell you this. Fear God. The Bible tells us to fear God. That's our problem, folks. We've gotten away from a genuine fear of Almighty God. We've got to get back to that, folks. But He loves us like a loving parent who sees a child, and they, they go to Him and they help Him. Sometimes they have to discipline Him, don't they? Well, we see in God's Word, He had to discipline the Israelites. He'll allow us. There's natural consequences to sin. But if we trust in God, and we move toward Him, and we repent... He's going to revive us, isn't he? He's going to revive us every time. When the Holy Ghost convicts you of your sin, don't run and hide. Confess it right there and there. The job of the Holy Spirit of God, the job of the Holy Ghost is to convict you of your sin. That brings you back to God. That's for your benefit and my benefit. The Holy Spirit of God is there to convict. 
It's one of his main jobs. Folks don't want to hear that these days. <clears throat> Excuse me. Steve, just let people live their lives ever how they want. Well, you know, they're going to do that anyway, regardless of what you do. But like I said before, I don't want to be a legalist, but I want to tell you, God has a standard. God has a standard in his word. I can't do just all of what I want to do and get away with it. I'm going to pay for sin, the natural consequences of sin. If I go out here and rob a bank, which I'm not, y'all don't write, write me emails or stuff, but I'm not going to go rob a bank. But if I go out here and rob a bank, there's natural consequences of that, aren't there? You get, there's a payment for that. There's a payment for that. We are revived by the Holy Ghost when we call on Jesus to forgive our sin. That brings us close to God the Father through Christ. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, right? Only one. You don't have to have a priest. You don't have to have a shaman. You don't have to have somebody shaking holy water at you. What you need is the blood of Jesus Christ to pay for your sins, to cover your sins. He did that at Calvary. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen? Faith. You know, throughout all the Old Testament, which is where we're at today, it took faith to please God. You cannot please God without faith. And they functioned on that greatly in the Old Testament, didn't they? I want to speak to two groups that are here in this place and possibly watching on Facebook. I told Michael it would be all right if it wasn't working today, but he said it's working great. So, The saved and the unsaved. Only two groups. Only two groups of people in the world, really. Saved and unsaved. To the saved, I simply want to say repent and turn back to God and remember your first love. Brother Jim preached a sermon I'll never forget that we'd lost our first love, left our first love. Pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. We need to return. God's grace is sufficient, and I don't care what you've done. He can and will forgive you. His grace is sufficient. He told Paul that. Paul wanted him to remove that infirmity, whatever it was. We don't know what it was. But he wanted him to remove it, but he said his grace was sufficient. Folks, it doesn't matter what you've done. The blood of Jesus Christ can cover it. It can cover it. It doesn't matter what it is. He can cover it. To the unsaved, I want to say that you're loved by God. I'm not going to beat you over the head with a hammer. That's not going to do you any good. But you're loved of God. You're loved greatly of God. God's love is throughout this book. This book says that God is love. He loves you. Jesus died to save you. He died to save you. He paid the price that you could not pay. There are people who are thinking they can pay their way into heaven. Folks, you can't earn one second in heaven. You can't earn one second in heaven. And I'm thankful for that because guess what, folks? I, w I wouldn't make it. I wouldn't make it. We can't earn one second in heaven. But it's a free gift, a very costly gift to the one who gives it, but a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. Don't listen to anybody that tells you any different. As you are now an enemy of God, as the scripture says, you can change that if the Spirit is speaking to you today. Did you know that if you're not saved, you're an enemy of God? That's what the Word says. Not me, not Steve talking. You're an enemy of God. Enemies of God don't fare too well at the end of Revelation, do they? No, they don't. But in His Word, God says, it's not His will that any should perish. The door is open. As long as you're breathing breath, the door is open. As long as Jesus hasn't come back yet, and as I don't have a watch, but as the time shows, he hasn't, he hasn't come back yet, but he's coming back. Time's getting shorter, folks. I believe Brother Jim's right. We're closer than we've ever been. Look at the signs. Look at Revelation and see what's lining up. I'm telling you. Salvation is available. Salvation is achieved through justification. It means you're justified to enter heaven. The only way that you're justified is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You call upon the name of the Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You can be saved. It's simple. And then at the end of it, when people say, Well, Steve, is it that simple? Yes, it is. But here's the thing. What's the true mark of a Christian? The true mark of a Christian is going to do what Jesus said. Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey my commands. That's the mark. That's what we look for. Heard somebody not long ago say, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, 
I, I don't, I'm not a fruit inspector. I don't inspect fruit. Well, I do. I do, and here's why I do. The fruit inspector is somebody that comes in and looks in somebody's life and says, do they line up with the Bible, line up with the Holy Spirit of God? Is the Holy Spirit of God leading their life? Because if the Holy Spirit is not leading their life, I want Him to be leading their life. That's why we need to be fruit inspectors, not to be judgmental legalists, but to say, hey, I want to bring this person into the fold. I want to help them. I want to beg them to come in and, and ask God to forgive them. That's why we do that. Because we love people. Some people are unlovable. Can everybody say unlovable? Whew. It's tough. Some people are hard to love. I've heard people say extra grace required. I see Dr. Yates shaking his head. I know. I know some of those people. Whew. I work in a clinic too. I'm telling you. They get hot sometimes. They get angry. And sometimes they don't do very well with that. Sometimes we don't do very well with that. Only the blood of Jesus makes you qualified to enter heaven. I'm going to say that again. Only the blood of Jesus makes you qualified to enter heaven. God accepted payment for sin when Jesus died on the cross. His shed blood and death on the cross paid your sin debt, which is death. Physical death and spiritual death. Separation from God for eternity. That's the scary part. We're all going to die. Some people fear death a lot, but I fear the death... Being the separation from God for eternity more than I do anything else. I don't want to be separated from my Savior forever. I don't. And praise God I've made arrangements to not be separated forever. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. means everybody. Sweet little grandma that's been on the front pew of a church for years. I'm going to step on some toes here. If you think because you've been sitting in a church pew for 40 years that you're saved and good to go, maybe not. I don't want you to doubt your salvation. I don't want you to. But I want you to know that you know that you know. Amen. I learned that from Brother Emmett. You need to know that you know that you know. Just because you've been sitting in the same church pew in the same place probably for 40 years does not mean you're saved. Just because your name is on a church roll does not mean you're saved. But if your name, praise God, is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, Amen. you're saved. You're saved. We've got too many people thinking they're okay when they're not. Romans 5.8 says, says that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Incredible. He even asked those that were crucifying him. He asked God to not hold that against them. Didn't he? What love. What great love he had. What great love he has and he shares with us. And we need to be channeling that love to other people, don't we? Sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus. The best thing you can do. And if it's a brother or sister, neighbor, and they don't ever talk to you again, you've honored God when you've done it. I don't want any person to go to hell. Hell is real. It is. It's a very real place. And we're going to spend eternity in one of those two places. Romans 10, 9 and 10 states that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, Paul said that we're to be pitied if the resurrection didn't happen, didn't he? That's stating that belief in the resurrection is vital to salvation. It's vital to salvation. We must believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Lee Strobel's a guy I heard speak one time at a men's conference a number of years ago. Love to hear that guy speak. He was an atheist. He was an atheist whose wife got saved. His wife got saved, and he got mad. He got angry. And he said, why in the world are you believing in that fairy tale? He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to set out to prove that Bible wrong. And particularly, I'm going to set out to prove that resurrection didn't happen. And he looked at all the secular literature he could find. And he poured over it, and he read it. Very smart man. And he looked at it and he said, I'm not finding any answers here. I've got to go to the one book that talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ more than other, and that's God's word. And guess what happened to him? Hallelujah. He got saved. Yeah. Glory he got saved because when you read the word of God, you're going to get convicted of that sin that lives in your heart. Amen. It's going it's to convict you. But it's designed to convict you. That's a good thing, folks. If you're so seared that you don't mourn over your sin anymore, that's a problem. 
It means you need to get closer to God. It means you get closer to God. That's what needs to happen. Lee Strobel, I heard him speak at a men's conference a couple of years ago. Me and Billy Hay went down there. Heard him speak. I could have listened to him all day. Very, very smart man. Very smart man. And guess who he talks about now? Jesus. And what's so funny is some of these egghead college boys come to him and say, Well, you don't know anything. He's a pretty smart cookie. He's a pretty smart cookie. He's a pretty smart guy. So, remember, we talked about wisdom that's outside of the Word of God. And, folks, I got some education. I got a bachelor's degree. I got a master's degree. And that means nothing if I don't live my life by the way the Word of God says I should. Verse 10 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's power in what we speak. There is power in what we speak. The results of salvation will be clear to others in a changed life. We become new creatures when we're saved. My salvation experience was, one of the, was the most powerful thing that's ever happened to me, folks. I had to be forgiven of a lot. Bible says those that are forgiven a lot love much. God saved me. He broke me into a million pieces and he put me back together that day. I never will forget it. Use your personal testimony when you witness to people. Main reason is because they can't dispute that. They can't dispute what God has done for you. They can't do it. There's no way. How about you? Where are you at today? Do you know Jesus? I want you to really think about that. I don't care if you've been in this church or any church for years and years and years. I want you to know that you know that you know. It's that important. It's that important. And unfortunately, you've got a lot of preachers who put on a fancy suit and they get up there and they draw lots of money and they don't tell people the truth. I'm not singling anybody out. I'm not going to single anybody out. That old boy over in Texas that's got a whole bunch of people in that place, I'd love to see him preach the gospel one time. They'd fire him, but I'd love to see him do it one time because there's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's power in the resurrection. You're going to be resurrected if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're going to be resurrected one day. You're going to be with Christ forever. I want you to think very strongly about where you stand with God today. The whole point of this message is revival through repentance. We're revived when we repent. In just a few minutes, we're going to have the musicians coming forward. We're going to pray, and we're going to have an altar call. And if you need to pray, I want you to come up here. I want you to come up here and pray. I want you to, if you need to pray with one of us, Brother William, Ken Green back there, anybody that you want to, Brother Tom, anybody that, that you need to pray with, we're going to open that up in just a minute. After we pray, while I pray, the musicians will come forward. You come if you need to. If God wants to do business in your heart, if you just haven't been living right, if you just haven't been living right, he wants to welcome you back. He wants to welcome you back. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you, the only way we know how, Lord, your word says to come to you boldly, but here lately, Lord, it seems like we don't, we don't seem to have the strength to do that, Lord. But we pray right now, I pray right now, Lord, that you would draw someone through your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that you would touch hearts today heavenly father and show that love the love that jesus showed on the cross when he died that horrible death to pay for the sins of the whole world lord the whosoever's of the world the whosoever's will call on the name of the lord heavenly father pray that you would draw someone this day for it's in christ jesus name we pray amen